gum right there on the music stand. I, I put it on a piece of paper, so like it's not that unsanitary. But I, <laughs> the other day I was talking to Carol. She was here setting up for um, the meal, and I was mid-conversation with her, and I just choked on a piece of gum. <laughs> so I figured I better not have that in my mouth while I'm preaching. <laughs> I guess I can't talk and think at the same, or talk and chew at the same time, or whatever. I don't know. Well, we, uh, last week we, we started this new series on the I Am, and, and we had a pretty technical message as we looked at what the Hebrew word for I Am means, what, how God's name tells us that He was, He is, He always will be. It, it depicts the characteristics of God, that He's unknowable while also being almighty forever and ever. And there's, there's a lot to unpack, and, and we could spend a long time unpacking, and, and scholars for thousands of years have tried to unpack the name of God. But what we see in the Gospel of John are seven statements from Jesus where he uses the, the phrase, I am, and then adds something else to it. And so he's kind of, what he's doing is he's clarifying, I am the I am. He's saying, I am God. I am God incarnate, and I also this is a part of who I am. This is a characteristic of me. This is what it means to be God. This is what you see through me. And, and today, we're starting the first I am statement, which is in John chapter 6. And it's the, the I am statement, I am the bread of life. And, and I, I've really been wanting to get into this series ever since um, there, there's a, a, a preacher that I really like listening to named R.C. Sproul's, and he has done a series on the I Am sayings, and it really got me thinking and diving deeper into them, and, and so I've been really wanting to have a series spent on this, and so I'm excited to, to begin this and to dive a little bit deeper into who Jesus is and who shows us that he is um, through these sayings. So before we get started on that, let, let's open up with a, with a word of prayer first. Father God, we know that you have existed in, for eternity that you were there before the foundations of the world. You will be there as those foundations crumble, that you're timeless. And, and we can't even explain you. The, the language that you presented yourself to couldn't explain you. But we know that you're there. And we know that you're there because you became one of us in order to reveal yourself further to us. And God, this morning, as we unpack your word, as we unpack these sayings from Jesus as, as we embark on this journey of knowing you more deeply and knowing what Jesus came here to do, I pray that your spirit moves within us and, and we can see through the counselor just, just who you are, just how much you love us, just what you have come to do. God, this morning as we study your word, move within us, let your spirit fill this place and guide us through your wisdom. Let your words be spoken. God, we, we, we love you so much. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. It's, uh, it's ironic that this message is placed on Father's Day because we have our Father's Day meal afterwards and, and we're talking about bread, we're talking about food, about sustenance, and, um, and we're going to, after this meal's over, we're going to go over there and we're going to eat and have a great time. Um, but as I was just thinking about this a little bit more this morning, about what fathers do, you know, fathers impart wisdom, they guide, they teach. I asked Jared earlier, um, 
Um, Jared Gosser's here today, and they have a child on the way, and I asked him if he was going to teach his son how to golf right away, and, and we were having a conversation about that, and I got to thinking, what was one of the things my dad taught me, and um, he taught me how to eat. That was a, bit, a big one. <laughs> uh, he taught me a lot of things. He taught me baseball, work ethic, all sorts of things, but, but we... Um, I can remember one time we were little, I was little, and we were sitting at the table, and my dad used to put butter on everything, and he would have one of those big tubs of butter, you know, that you would just spoon it out of, and he'd slap it on whatever he was eating, and I remember sitting there one day looking at him, and, and I said, well, give me that butter too, and so I slapped it on my food, and I took a spoon, and I actually ate the butter because I just wanted to be like my dad, and, um, and, and just one of those memories that I was thinking of on this Father's Day that we we try to imitate our fathers, and I remember imitating him around the table. But there's a, there's a lot of things that take place around the table. There's a lot of, of, of things that food does for us. First of all, it brings us closer together. We're going to have this meal, and, and we're going to fill ourselves, and, and, and we're going to refuel ourselves with food, but we're also going to refuel ourselves with, with company, with fellowship, with, with being in one another's presence. But sometimes when we eat... <laughs> Instead of refueling ourselves, we, uh, we do the opposite. And, and when I think of this, you know, we, we think of food is there, it's placed so that it gives us energy. It, it, we, our body breaks it down so that we can live throughout the day. Oftentimes we overeat, though, and, and the opposite effect happens. I, I remember when I was in high school and middle school, I played AAU baseball, and, and that, that season of baseball happens in the summer, and it is just so hot. I mean, it's 100 degrees, and you're out there playing three games in a day, and, and you don't really have anything to eat. You live off peanut butter sandwiches and sunflower seeds, so you're just, by the end of the day, I mean, your stomach is just about to eat itself. And so we had this tradition on the team that I played on that every Saturday, after th- playing three games, we would always go to the nearest Golden Corral because, you know, you're playing in cities, so there's always going to be a Golden Corral somewhere. And if any of you have ever been to Golden Corral, it's not quality. It's quantity over quality. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's how much you can eat, not how good of food you're eating. And um, when you have a bunch of, of adolescent teenagers going in, just hungry as can be, you have um, some sights that you see around, around some kids that are eating. And I, I mean, it probably was 95% of the time I would go in there and I would eat and eat and eat and eat. And then I would just make myself sick, so sick that the next day when I'm back out in the 100 degree heat playing baseball, I'm still sick and I just want to throw up because I ate so much the night previous. And, and the reason I bring that up is because food, at its core, is meant to sustain us. It's meant to give us energy. It's meant to refuel us and, and kind of set us back on when, when we start wearing down, when we start breaking down. We're supposed to eat and gain sustenance. We're, we're supposed to gain calories so that our body, when we burn the energy, we burn the calories, and we can keep moving on. It's a cycle. It's supposed to sustain us. You know, in, in my example here that I gave, it actually had the opposite effect. I overfilled myself, and, and, and my body had to work hard and sent me into, like, a food coma. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those where you just eat and eat and eat, and then you sit in your recliner, and you just, you're just out for, for hours because your body has to recover from the amount that you ate. But, but today what we're looking at is we're seeing food as pure sustenance. This example that Jesus gives, he says, I am the bread of life. And he's referring to bread 
sense that the Jewish people would have understood bread equals fuel. Bread equals sustenance. Without food, you don't survive. And, and we'll see that here in a second with, with the miracle that goes along with Jesus' statement that bread, food, equals sustenance. But the question is, how does this statement, how does bread, you know, we can easily see from a biological way that food makes us survive, but how does bread work in a spiritual way? What is Jesus saying that he is the bread of spiritual life? How, how does bread equate to spiritual food? And, and that's the question that we're going to be addressing. And, and to address this question, before we turn to Jesus' statement in John 22, in that section, we have to first look at the two miracles that precede it. Um, the, the two miracles that precede it, specifically the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus walking on water. And, and the reason we have to look at this is because this is a narrative that ties directly together. It covers the course of a couple days. Um, Jesus is, is with his disciples, and, and he's been teaching them, and he goes up on a mountain, and he's teaching them from this mountain, which is a regular occurrence that he does. And he's already beginning to gain notoriety. Um, if you have a CSB translation, which is what I use, in case you didn't know, Jesus has already performed three different miracles, three different signs, three different proofs that he's someone different, that, that he is a prophet, that he has spiritual power, that, that somehow God is within him. And so people are starting to notice, and people are starting to flock to him. People want to, to get a glimpse of what he has to say, what he has to teach. And, and it just so happens that he's teaching his disciples, and the Passover festival is near, so there's a lot of people around, and they see that Jesus is there, and they all just start flocking to him. And Jesus is with his disciples, these 12 guys. They don't have much money. Um, and he sees all these people coming towards him. These 5,000 men, the Bible describes. And 5,000 men is actually probably more like 15,000 people, because they wouldn't have accounted for women and children in their records. And so all of these people, this huge crowd, just, just think of, a, of a, a modern day stadium, all of the people filing out of that stadium, and they're coming towards Jesus. And he turns to Philip, and he says, um, how much is it going to cost to feed these people? Specifically, he says, um, uh, Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd and said, where will we buy the bread so these people can eat? It's almost like a, a rhetorical question. Like, man, how are we going to pay for this? And, and Philip says, well, gosh, we don't have that money. It'd be, we don't even, 200 denarii, 200 pieces of gold wouldn't cover feeding these people. And it's almost like a, Philip is just affirming what Jesus' rhetorical question was as, there's no way we can bring enough food to sustain this people. And, and then I love Andrew's response here. It says one of the disciples, Andrew, said there's a boy here with five loaves of bread and two fish, but what are they for so many? Andrew's response is like, if you ever you're, think of a child who's, there's a bunch of conversations at like a, like a dinner party or something, and they're all political conversations, and you have this eight-year-old that's listening to everything, and, and then just says, well, why doesn't everyone just love everyone? Why, why don't we just give money to everyone? And, and they have this simplified look at everything, and, it, and it's just, it's, it's such a sweet answer. It makes sense, but then all the adults in the room are like, yeah, because that, that's possible. That's what Andrew's doing here. He, he's, he said, well, here's five loaves of bread and two fish, <laughs> and all the other disciples are probably looking at Andrew like, what in the world is he talking about? What, what are we going to do with five loaves of bread and two fish? But it says that, in verse 10 it says, 
Jesus said, had the pe- have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they all sat down. The men numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces and fi- from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. What's key here then, you know, we see clearly Jesus has performed miracle. He has surplused matter. He has provided more than what he had before, even. Jesus has done an incredible miracle in front of 15, five, at least 5,000, upwards of 15,000 people. What do they do? It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what's the people's response here? They see that Jesus provides bread, that he reduplicates bread, that he, he ter- takes matter and, and, and quantifies that matter for more people. He, he takes it and, and brings more of it into existence. And their reaction is, Man, this guy really is a prophet. I mean, we heard these other three miracles. We heard these other things that he's been doing. We wanted to see it for himself, and boy, did we see it. This guy is a prophet. This is the prophet. They were referring to him as the Messiah, and what's their response? Let's make him king. They weren't looking at Jesus from a godly perspective. They, they didn't look at Messiah and say, this is God. They looked at it and said, this is the Messiah is the prophet. This is the spirit of God that is upon this man. Let's install him as our earthly king, as our mortal savior. That's the key here. The people saw Jesus. They saw what he has done, and their response was, let's have him save us on earth. Let's have him release us from our oppression on earth. And they went out of their way to make him king, and, and what did Jesus do? He went away. Because he knew that wasn't his purpose. He wasn't here to be an earthly king. But the thing is, it was hard for the people to see Jesus for what he was. The people looked at Jesus and all they saw was, this is a great prophet. He is only a man, but he is a man with the spirit of God upon him. Let's make him king over the Jewish nation. Let's overthrow our oppressors. And let's, let's have good, mortal, earthly existence. That's what the, the people were thinking as they witnessed this incredible event from Jesus. And there's a reason that this all ties together with food. Um, What ends up happening then is is Jesus goes away and night falls and the disciples go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Jesus walks on water to get to them, which is a whole other story. But it says that that's the fifth sign. Um, This is the fifth sign that Jesus shows by walking on water. And he gets to the other side, and the people wake up the next morning and say, oh, where's Jesus at? And they hear that he's on the other side, so they all get off in boats and go to the other side as well. Now, the reason I bring up the different signs of John is within the Gospel of John, it's split into two parts. You have the the prologue in chapter 1, and then you have chapters 12, or 2 through 12, and then the rest of the book. Chapters 2 through 12 are basically John's way of saying, he, he opens the, the gospel with, Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God. Jesus is God. And then chapters 2 through 12 are, here's why Jesus is God. Here are the signs he did. Here are the things he said. Here are the teachings he had. Clearly, he is God. 
And then in the rest of the book, he shows what God does as Jesus, what Jesus does for humanity. Now, this is the fourth and fifth sign. Jesus has shown in, in five different ways his strength, his power, his spiritual nature of being God. But now he's coming into this other side, and he's about to tell them. Not only is he, has he shown them, but he's about to tell them that he's more than that, and he does so through bread. And so we pick up here in, in verse 22. It says, the, uh, or verse 25, that the, the people are come over to the other side, and they find Jesus, and it says, when they found them, him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life, for which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, the work of God, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Okay, so setting up this, this statement now. He's saying, you have followed me because you have saw what I've, I've done. You, you, you ate my food. You, you, you participated in this miracle, and you're just amazed by it, and so you're following me right now. But that is nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. And what I'm about to tell you, if you really want to be a part of the work of God, you have to believe what I'm about to tell you. I'm about to give you the ultimate son. I'm about to give you the ultimate bread. I'm about to fill you ultimately. And, and that's what he tells them. That's what he opens up with. And then listen to their response. They say, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So you see all the bread that's being mentioned here. He does this miracle where he multiplies bread. And now he talks like, you came to me, you, you followed me across this, this, this lake because you saw that I multiplied bread. And now they're saying, well, our fathers, they believed Moses. They believed in God because God sent bread. Moses got God to send bread. And so there, there's all this reference to bread. And, and when they bring up manna, it's important that we go back and understand what this is referencing, what what the importance of this passage. It happens in Exodus 16. If you remember the manna and quail, the, the Israelites long ago, before about 1,300 years before this encounter with Jesus here, were, had gotten, were slaves in Egypt. God had pulled them out of Egypt. He had taken them into the wilderness, and they were set to go into Canaan, but they had a long way to go. There's a, probably 2 million people in this trek, and they were starving. They were hungry. And when you get hungry and you get hot, you get irritable. Just ask any of my parents. Whenever we were at these tournaments, we got hungry and we got hot and we got irritable. And you have two million irritable people yelling at Moses, and they're saying, well, you just took us out of Egypt so that we can starve and die in this barren wasteland. And then in Exodus 16, 4 and 5, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I'll test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And, and then and <clears throat> verses 13 through 18, it says that that happens. That God brings dew in the morning and that dew evaporates and there's bread on the ground. And for all the years that Israel was in the wilderness, 
every morning when they woke up, there was bread. God sent this bread for them to survive. That without this manna, I mean, if you look at a map at where these the Israelites were traveling through, there is nothing. There is no way two million people would have survived in this wasteland without God providing, without God sustaining the people. They woke up in the morning, they had this bread, and they lived. And now these, the ancestors of these people are, are looking at Jesus, and they're saying, okay, so Moses got God to provide bread for us to live in the wilderness. That was this great sign. This was the, like the ultimate sign that God was with Moses because God sustained Israel through this manna. Okay, what are you going to do? How are we going to see that you are who you say you are? What, what sustenance are you going to provide for our faith? Because the manna was both sustenance for life to keep them alive, but it was also sustenance for them to see, well, you know, God really is with us. So, Jesus, what are you going to do for us to see that God is with you and that God is with us through you? And Jesus said, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir... Give us this bread always. Now, the thing is, they don't, they don't get it yet. They're thinking, well, this is still the same type of bread that Moses gave. That This is just some, some miracle, some sign, some, some, something special. This is just a new type of manna. It's like manna 2.0. And they want it. They, they want what Jesus has to offer. And they, sir, give us this bread. And but they still don't get it, that, that it wasn't Moses that provided the bread. It was God that provided the bread for them to live. And they wanted to know, okay, how are you going to do exactly what Moses did for us? And that's when Jesus turns everything on a hinge. He just completely does a 180 on what they believe. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And when we read this in English, it's easy for us to just say that, that the, the phrase bread of life is, is simply a, an, an adjective. It's just a description. What we have to key in on isn't the bread of life part, but the I am part. In, in the Greek, this phrase is ego eimi, which just means I am, I am. And if you remember our, our study from last week, what is the name of God? Acher, acher, acher. I am which I am. So th- this isn't a coincidence. Jesus isn't just saying ego, which would be I am, or he's not even saying I eimi, which would be I am. He's saying I am, I am, I am the bread of life. And so the people, the Jewish people listening to this would have gone, oh, that's blasphemy. Either you are God in front of us or you're blasphemous. Because even in, in what's called the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the word ego me, the phrase ego me, is exactly what was placed in the text we read last week of the name of God. So this Greek-speaking world 
that Jesus is addressing, when Jesus says, ego me," they would have instantly heard that and said, you just called yourself God. You just called yourself God. Either you are God or you are blasphemous. But what's he going to say? He says, I am the I am, and I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, I'm not just going to sustain you in the wilderness. I'm not just going to give you bread so that you can live a long and happy life here on earth. But when you come to me, no one will be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And so that's enough for them to think, okay, what does, what does that mean? What, what, what are you talking about that we, we won't be hungry? What are you talking about that we, we won't be thirsty again? You know, I'll eat. Even yesterday, Jesus, when I ate that barley bread you gave me, I went home that night and I had a midnight snack. You know, I was still hungry later that evening. So obviously what you're saying isn't exactly true. So how, am, how are you going to feed me and me not ever get hungry again? Well, Jesus elaborates. It says, therefore, the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they were saying, isn't this Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? So they're, they're saying, how can this actually be God? Now, we know his parents. How can this actually be God? What is he talking about? How is he going to give us bread that makes us never go hungry again? And it says, Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is sent from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they still died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. So he, Jesus explains it. I, I'm not talking about literal bread, guys. I'm saying when you believe in the one who sent me, this, this is what I said before, the sign that you need to follow, the work of God that you need to follow is that you believe in me, and when you believe in me, you get sustenance for eternity. It's not just bread. It's not just fish, it's not manna, it's not quail, it is eternal life through me. Because I know the Father, because I am the I am. And if you want to know the Father in eternity, you have to let me give you the bread. You have to trust in me, I alone can give you eternal life. Now imagine being a first century Jew and listening to this guy say, I am God, and if you want eternal life with the Father, you have to eat my flesh. <laughs> in the early church, in the, in the first century, between the years uh, 40 and 90, there was a, a rumor that went around that the early church was cannibals. Because they would say, we're eating the flesh of Jesus. We're eating, we're drinking the blood of Christ. And so there was this rumor that, or, that surrounded the church that they were cannibals. Um, and I wonder if the Jews who heard this thought, oh my gosh, what are you asking us to do? We're supposed to gnaw at you? Like we're supposed to grab a leg of Jesus and, and eat Jesus? Think about what this alludes to. This is a year and a half at least 
before Jesus' crucifixion, and what's he telling them? You only have eternity through my flesh. He equates his flesh with sustaining bread of manna. Only his flesh gives eternal sustenance. You know, um, every Sunday evening, except for this Sunday, because we don't have youth group or youth band tonight, but every Sunday evening when we have youth band, the communion is still left out because it doesn't get cleaned up generally until either Sunday evening or, or Monday morning. Um, and I don't know what it is, but when the, when the kids get here on Sunday evening, for whatever reason, they are just hungry as can be. And it's like they don't ever eat. I don't know. But the communion is sitting here on the altar, and it's only going to be thrown out. And so I've just told them, you know, drink and eat whatever's left. And, and they just wolf it down. I mean, it's like it's just one after another after another. When we come together and we eat communion, we're doing it because we're remembering that Jesus' flesh is our eternal sustenance. And the kids come and do it at, at, the, end of, on, on the, at the end of the day. They're doing it because they're hungry and they, they need some mortal sustenance. But that's the, there's a difference between the two. Now, this example that I'm giving here is to show, you know, this is just bread and juice. And it, it tastes good. Some of you don't like the new communion <laughs> strips, but, you know, it's there as food for our bodies. And whenever, it's, whenever that's all you think of it as, as, as matter, as grape juice and bread, that's all it is. It's just something to fill you up. But what Jesus is saying is it's, it's more than that. When we believe... You can take communion. If you don't believe in Jesus, all you're doing is getting a little snack before lunch. Or you can believe in Jesus that he is God, that he was sent by God to give us eternal sustenance. And when you take communion, you're remembering that his flesh paid that price. That's what Jesus goes on to say at the end of this. The Jews argued, how can this man give us flesh to eat? And Jesus said to him, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. The one who eats my flesh, who drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not the manna your ancestors ate. They died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus isn't comparing this to manna because he's, he's, he's not saying that this is the same as manna. Manna was... Physical food for your physical bodies. This is spiritual food for our spiritual bodies. It's, the communion is not the flesh that Jesus is talking about. His body that he gave up on the cross. His blood that poured out for our sins, for, for his spirit to encompass us. That is what Jesus is referring to. And when we believe in him, like he said at the beginning of this, the work of God is that you believe in me. When you believe in me, what I have done become sustenance. When you feed on me, when you, when you remember what I've done, when you grow in me, the, John 14 says, when you abide in me, when you let my roots go through you so that, that I am pouring out of you, that's when you have 
eternal life. It all connects to, to bread. It all connects to, to the sustaining power of food. And Israel would have understood this more than anyone else because they would not have survived without the manna that God sent. But Jesus is saying, I'm not manna, I'm God. And like the manna saved you on this earth for 40 years, I'm saving you in eternity, for all of eternity. Because I am God. And I have came to give you myself. And that's why we gather together. And that's why we're doing communion at the end of service today, because I want us to realize it's, it's not the small cup of juice and, and the bread. You, we don't take this and, like it's medicine so that for the rest of the week we are saved. We do it because we remember. We remember that his flesh was given up in death so that his blood would pour out so that our, his spirit can cover us. That's what gives us eternity. And we gather together 2,000 years later because we know he did it. We know that he provided the sustenance that gives us eternal life. So here in a second, we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to do one more song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And then we're going to remember the ultimate expression of that love as we take time to eat the bread that he provides. We take time to remember the flesh that he gave up, the blood that he poured out, and the eternity that follows when we believe in him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we <clears throat> you know it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. Flesh and blood. We try to make understanding of it. But all we can do is believe. So God, for those of us today that might struggle with that belief, that might struggle with, well, how does this work? How does this equate to eternal life? God, just let us believe. Just let us understand that you are God, that Jesus, you are God, and your spirit poured out for us so that we can find refuge in eternity within your blood. I thank you for giving us a sustaining food so that we can have a life with you for all of eternity. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and as we're moving into communion, let's